Welcome to the Sermon Podcast from Beaver Parish Church. Today's reading is taken from Jeremiah chapter 29. It's a letter to the Israelites in exile in Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come for you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Amen. It's my privilege to read the second letter in the series that the church is doing on reflections on the lockdown. In the past three months, we've faced a huge change. We've been taken from the place we knew well and have had to adopt a new culture and new ways of doing things. In short, we have arrived in a new place. In this new place, let's call it lockdown, we live socially distanced lives with many of us shielding. All of us have had to negotiate this new world in new ways. In this new place, the things we once took for granted, like hugging friends and family, attending church and weddings and baptisms and funerals, visiting hospitals and homes, have been severely limited. It is perhaps not surprising that even the word we use about this place, lockdown, resonates with the idea of imprisonment and freedoms lost. The very fact that we talk about social distancing rather than physical distancing, reflects the consequences of this new culture we find ourselves in. For in this new place, we must follow instructions rigorously for the good of all of us. Now, this plays out at many levels. In shops where we have to clean our hands on entry, clean the trolleys with disinfectant before we queue for provisions. And once inside, we must follow the arrows and stop at designated lines when we're about to make our contactless payments. And when we get back home, we carefully clean and wipe our purchases, with special attention being paid to fresh fruit and perishables. Clothing, if we've been fortunate enough to buy some, we hang it up for a few days until it's ready to try on. In this new place, we have had to learn a new language and a new vocabulary. Words such as social distancing, the new normal, R factors, furloughing, blended learning and PPE. We now even know what constitutes essential work and travel. In this new place, media has become our prime source of information of the outside world. 
In the early days, we sat glued to the radio or television to listen to the latest update on infections and deaths from COVID-19, a term used of this virus that we had come to fear. Now we follow the trends on a 24-7 basis on our digital dashboards. In this new place, things move rapidly and rules change quickly, sometimes before we've had time to embrace the old ones, let alone recall what used to be normal. It's not surprising that with this constantly changing context has come some confusion. For example, how can all our children go back to school while socially distancing at two metres? In looking after children informally, are we to retain two metres as the normal distance with one metre only when essential? And an increasingly popular though first world question, should we arrange our holidays? In this place, the role of the expert has become a key component of our everyday life. Now, this raises the question, are there experts whose opinions we should accept uncritically? This issue is important as sometimes definitions are contested. For example, we're told we're led by the science. But what exactly is the science? When it seems to me, at least, that scientists disagree significantly on some key messages. Take, for example, the wearing of face coverings. In this place, how we have lived as people of faith has also changed dramatically. For a long time, we've been unable to come together to worship. And now that we're moving towards being able to meet in smaller numbers, it not be as it once was, for we'll not be able to sing, share coffee, or give each other and receive the sign of the peace. It is important to remind ourselves that God's people have always faced new challenges and therefore it's important that we reflect theologically as well as socially on where we are and what things might look like on the other side of now. About 2,700 years ago, just about the times that the Celts came to Ireland, the ten tribes which made up the northern kingdom of Israel were taken into exile by the Assyrian Empire. It came suddenly and left the Israelites confused with, with the speed in which it happened as well as the new situation they now faced. A few centuries later, and the same fate befell the southern kingdom, when the Babylonian Empire took it away, and, like its northern partner, they faced new and challenging state of existence. Both kingdoms needed to reorient themselves and ask the question, how do we serve God in this new place? When everything they were used to had gone, they faced changes in economy, social structures, religious practice and cultural norms. The temple where God lived had gone. There were no more kings and their god, Yahweh, was reduced to being viewed as a tribal deity, only one god among many in a changing world. Now, when we talk about change, we normally refer to something new happening. But the mystery of transformation more often happens, not when something new begins, but when something old falls apart. The pain of something old falling apart, chaos, invites the soul to listen at a deeper level and sometimes forces the soul to go to a new place. Most of us would never go to new places in any other way. The mystics used many words to describe this chaos. Fire, dark night, death, emptiness, abandonment, trial, the evil one. But whatever it is, it doesn't feel good, and it doesn't feel like God. So says Richard Rohr. I would like to suggest that this witnessing of the falling apart of the old which was the experiences of the Israelites almost 3,000 years ago, is the same experience that we're going through today. And I think, therefore, there are some lessons in these stories about how the children of Israel dealt with their situation, which might help us as we reflect on our position as modern-day exiles. 
Israel were going along nicely with kings and prophets, and then suddenly an outside power overpowered them, and the whole world that they knew fell apart. The old was taken away, first by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. The Israelites spent considerable time looking for a theological compass. Where was God in this new place? Their tradition told them that he was worshipped in a building, in a geographical center, in a traditional manner, but they couldn't do that. So in despair, they tried many things, reverting to what they knew best. In short, they attempted a reboot, but that wasn't possible. They struggled with the concept of being without what was normal, the temple, the monarchy, the land, asking deep theological questions along the way. Socially, economically, politically and religiously, they were disoriented. They felt aliens in a strange land, a land where they retained a moral and social distance from those who they perceived to be unclean. Then the truth dawned on them. Tradition had limited value. They had to learn a lesson and live in the present as God's people in new ways. They were challenged to settle down and build houses and families, to engage in productive work, agriculture, that they would honour Yahweh before the nations. They realised that the kingdom of God was about reign and not geography, and that God was just as reachable by prayer from Assyria and Babylon as he was from Israel and Judah. They rediscovered God was not limited to a building. They realised that they needed to set aside false spiritual advice, as Jeremiah chastened them, the voices and visions of false and immoral prophets who counsel against truth. They learnt that God's promises were eternal, and followed, indeed, preceded them into the exile. They learned to trust those promises and to ask God to restore their courage and morale. They were forced to look within their own souls and to draw out only that was truly of God. So what are the challenges for us? Well, like the Israelites, we need to understand tradition has limited value. Our ways of doing church have changed through circumstances beyond our control. Our old ways and traditions have been transformed in order for us to live well in this new world. Now, it's not an inferior way of worshipping God, it's a different way, but the essence remains the same. We still come together to worship God and have fellowship with one another and share God's love in an increasingly fearful world. God is just as reachable by prayer here in the lockdown as he was in the parish church in early 2020. Prayer is uniquely personal and needs no physical structure to be effective. And just like the Israelites, we've learned that lesson. We've also learned that God is not limited to a building. His kingdom is about power and not geography. So although we're physically scattered, we find new virtual ways of being together as a church family to support one another, thanks to all our IT gurus. The Israelites realized that they needed to set aside false spiritual advice. Now for us, this translates into being people who discern. Sadly, some Christian leaders have seen COVID-19 as God's judgment, as fake news or even demonic invasion. It's vital we reflect on what's happening within a Christian context, reflecting on scripture and the lessons of church history. Now is not the time to seek definitive answers to the question, why is God allowing this to happen? For me at least, there'll be time on the other side of now for us to do that. They learned that God's promises were eternal. God is still calling us and equipping us to live in this new place, for however long that is. His promises remain the same now as in the past. The virus doesn't diminish either God or his love. We too, like those Israelites, have been forced to look within ourselves, deeply within our souls, 
and draw out only that which is truly of God, his essence. God is love. But we've learned lessons as well. We're never too old to learn. We have learned the importance of family, fellowship, touch, assembling, presence, spontaneity and freedoms. We reflect on things we took for granted. Shopping, food being clean, being close to people, holding people, cuddling people. So, some final reflections. We dare not simply reboot and go back to where we were. As Adrian has said in another place, we should recalibrate, reset our compass for the future and not our past. In my view, there is no new normal. We are in the course of a journey, making new discoveries every day. This is not as good as it gets. We can't settle for that. It will get better. We need to learn together from our wilderness experience about what worked well and what didn't work what we should keep and what we set aside. There is no harm in admitting we made mistakes, for that's how we learn. We need to remember ultimately that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Listen to Richard Rohr again. We will normally do anything to keep the old thing from falling apart. Yet this is when we need patience and guidance and the freedom to let go instead of tightening our controls and certitudes. While change can force a transformation, Spiritual transformation always includes a disconcerting reorientation. It can either help people to find new meaning or it can force people to close down or slowly turn bitter. The difference is determined precisely by the quality of our inner life, our practices, our spirituality. Change happens. But transformation is always a process of letting go, living in the confusing, shadowy place for a while. Now, I don't know whether you know the origin of the word saunter. It derives from the Middle Ages when people used to go on pilgrimages to the Holy Land. When they were walking past villages, the inhabitants would call out, where are you going? The answer would be, à la santerre, to the Holy Land. And this then was translated from French into English as santerreurs or saunterers. Now, when we live in this space, for however long that is, I would suggest that we adopt the same approach as those early saunterers, realizing that this is holy ground because God is here with us and walks with us and goes before us. So we don't spend our time wishing for a return to the past, rather that we take this opportunity to see this time as one in which we can learn what it is like to live in holy ground as we saunter along, scattered but together. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To hear previous weeks and for more information, go to beaverparish.co.uk forward slash sermons.